three, two, one. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Anyone Can Run podcast, the podcast for those brand new to running who want to make sure they begin their journey on the road to Gainesville on the right foot. I am your host, True Bros, a.k.a. Gabe, a.k.a. the number one Apex Legends player in the world in the hearts of the Twitch gym members, and I am an NCCA certified personal trainer who specializes in playing games, making gains, and helping clients reach their health and fitness goals. This is the podcast where we cover nutrition, training, running gear, everything you need to know about what it takes to complete your first race, whether it's a 5K, full marathon, or anything in between. Previously, I've recapped my first race experience, the 2016 Walt Disney World Marathon, and my second race, the 2016 Dumble Double Dare at Disneyland, which was about eight months later. Since covering things chronologically makes the most sense to me, today, I want to recap easily the oddest race experience I've had to date, the 2016 Rock and Roll Las Vegas Marathon, which took place two months after the Dumble Double Dare. In January of 2017, I was signed up for the Dopey Challenge, which consists of four races in four days, and running a full marathon a couple months prior seemed like adequate preparation to me. But for reasons we'll discuss at length, not only was it not particularly helpful, this was the only time in my life where I crossed the finish line and was, pardon my French, mild profanity and cover the ears of the little ones around for the next three seconds, pretty dang pissed off. Without further ado, let's dive deep into my third race ever, the 2016 Rock and Roll Las Vegas Marathon. I completed the Dumbo Double Dare at Disneyland in September, and I was eager to take on the Dopey Challenge at Walt Disney World four months later. The Dopey Challenge consists of running four races on consecutive days, a 5K on Thursday, 10K on Friday, half marathon on Saturday, and a full marathon on Sunday. And since I hadn't run a full marathon or any extended distances since January, I thought it'd be a good idea to do a warm-up marathon, so to speak, a couple months prior. The Dopey Challenge was also going to be my future wife's first full marathon, so I wanted to ensure I was in peak condition to be able to assist in any way I could. I actually ended up making the trek out to fabulous Las Vegas for this race with my mother, as I figured I'd be a good son, take my mom out for a mini vacation, and have someone meet me at the finish line with a backpack so I could quickly change out of my clothes and continue to venture all across the Las Vegas Strip. Seemed like a win-win for all parties involved as far as I'm concerned. I love the Las Vegas Strip. It's one of the most unique places I've ever been, and I simply cannot get enough of it. Every time I'm in Vegas, whether it's for a mini vacation or attending an event, I make an effort to wake up early at least one day while I'm there and go for an early morning run up and down the beautiful strip, beginning at the Wynn and ending at the Tropicana or vice versa depending upon where I'm staying. The first time I went for a run on the strip, I was surprised at how frequently one needs to stop due to the number of crosswalks, so I actually filmed a couple YouTube videos complete with maps and pedestrian views so a runner can keep themselves oriented. I'm the kind of person who overprepares for every trip, so that's the kind of content I crave. Not knowing where I'm going just makes me all types of anxious, but that's enough of a sidebar for now. Considering how much I love walking and running the strip, but this always needs to be done bright and early in the morning due to desert sun beating down on you and the sheer volume of people walking the strip at all hours of the day, I thought it'd be an incredible experience to run the Las Vegas Strip at night. Maybe it's just me, but there's nothing quite like strolling down one of the most iconic boulevards in the world, stationed smack dab in the middle of the desert at night underneath the glow of iconic neon temples. 
Perhaps it's due to the plethora of movies I've seen, which take place in fabulous Las Vegas, but I cannot get enough of the strip, and needless to say, I was enamored with the idea of running on this street uninhibited by traffic or my fellow runners. So when it turned out I had tons of frequent flyer and hotel points, I booked the trip and signed up for the full 26.2 mile marathon. So just to clarify the timelines, this race took place in November of 2016, two months after the Dumble Double Dare and about a month and a half before the Dopey Challenge. So my intent with signing up for this race was to stay in marathon shape and the training for this race went fantastic. Until I picked up a pair of new running shoes about a month before the race and seldom used them during training. After Dumbo, I pretty much just continued with my marathon training plan and used this race as a typical quote-unquote long run. My running shoes had been put through a couple races at this point and had logged a ridiculous number of training miles. So I picked up a new pair, but did not pick up a pair ideal for my foot shape. We covered selecting the right running shoes for your foot type previously in our running gear episode, and needless to say, I picked up these shoes without doing any type of significant research. You learn so much about what works for you as a runner during a marathon training cycle and on race day. And this was to date the first and only race where I've made some boneheaded decisions related to my running gear. Some background on my personal quote unquote style. I typically rotate between three pairs of running shoes, two to alternate between for running and one just for walking around. Here's where I made my running gear mistake. I picked up a new pair of running shoes around three weeks after the Dumbo Double Dare, at which point my training plan consisted of a conditioning run of 35 minutes on Tuesdays and Thursdays and a long run on the weekends. These long runs were right around the 16 mile mark or so, and because I'm the kind of person who likes to break in new shoes gradually, I typically just use my old shoes for the extended run to ensure my mileage was not adversely impacted in any way. On top of this, I was planning to use my new shoes on race day. And if you've ever heard a previous episode of the Anyone Can Run podcast, you know my number one rule. Don't try anything new on race day. Well, I wasn't a total and complete dummy boy because a few weeks before the marathon, when I was assigned to complete around 20 miles, I decided to give my new shoes a go. As I mentioned, these shoes were not ideal for me, and that's because when I was reading reviews, I was selecting shoes specifically that had the type of cushioning I prefer and not ones made for my foot shape. When I went for a long training run, I messed up my ankle something fierce. I was still able to run in the weeks leading up to the race relatively comfortably, but I had to use an ankle brace which I am not a fan of. However, not wanting to be deterred from my goal of completing another marathon, I rested when necessary, wore the ankle brace pretty much around the clock, and packed both pairs of shoes, my compression socks, my hydration belt, and the rest of my running gear as my mother and I made the trip out to Sin City. Little bit of a sidebar, my most recent race was the Rock and Roll New Orleans 2019 half marathon this past February. And if you'd like to see everything I packed for that flight and race, you can find a packing video over at the True Bros YouTube, which you can directly access from truebros.com. I bring this up because I currently run with a handheld hydration flask and flip belt to cart around my phone and snacks during extended runs. However, at the time of the Rock and Roll Las Vegas 2016 race, I was using a hydration belt. As soon as we landed in Vegas and I began unpacking everything, I noticed while I packed the belt, I neglected to pack the accompanying water bottle, yet another running gear related mistake I made in advance of this race. 
Considering I had to pick up my race bib, and running expos are typically filled to the brim with vendors peddling all sorts of running gear, I wasn't particularly worried about not being able to find a suitable replacement. I know there was a lot of negatives in that sentence, but the point is, I'm saying I figured I could find a replacement, although I wasn't happy about having to spend some additional money. After picking up my bib, I perused the official rock and roll merchandise shop and the various vendors and I didn't find a bottle which would fit my specific belt, which in hindsight I should have expected. Sidebar, if you've never been to Las Vegas, there's a couple malls located on the strip in case you find yourself in need of some essentials at non-super inflated prices. There happens to be a couple sporting goods store at these malls, so we ventured over there to see if they'd have a suitable replacement for the belt I was using at the time, as the belts at the expo were simply hydration belts and didn't have the pockets for me to store anything, and the mall absolutely did not. So we ended up going back to the expo, picking up a branded Run Rock and Roll hydration belt, which I've still only used once, which was for this race, and then went to another mall, the Miracle Mile Shops connected to the Planet Hollywood Resort and Casino, to pick up a Herschel brand pocket I could slip on the belt in order to hold my mid-race eats. Needless to say, we ended up doing quite a bit of walking and catching rideshares in order to make up for the fact I wasn't thorough when packing and I'm pretty dang picky when it comes to my running gear, which is the entire reason we dedicated a previous episode to running gear in case you're picky like I am. Now, whenever I travel, I print out a quick packing list, one sheet I can use to check stuff off to ensure I don't forget anything. And I typically pack a second copy and pack it with my actual suitcase to ensure I don't lose anything while traveling. Needless to say, learn from my mistakes and make sure you pack everything you need to run a marathon when traveling for a race. After handling the gear fiasco, it was time to actually enjoy the vacation portion of this trip prior to lining up at the start line. Last week, when we covered the race day experience, we briefly discussed the significance of eating healthy and whole foods in the days leading up to running. I'm a big fan of Chef Gordon Ramsay, so whenever in Vegas, I tend to go to Burger at Planet Hollywood, which is my personal favorite restaurant. Considering I didn't want to skip out on the unique experience of dining there, and at the time, Serendipity at Caesars Palace, which has been replaced by Hell's Kitchen, we visited, but I opted for lighter options, which weren't fried. I believe I got a turkey sandwich at Serendipity, and I forget exactly what at Burger. I also picked up Subway from smaller places on the strip to ensure I was eating as light as possible while still ingesting lots of carbs and protein. Since the Run Rock and Roll Las Vegas is the only race I've participated in, which takes place at night, it meant adjusting my typical race day nutrition on the fly. While I'm typically not a fan of buffets, the handful of ones I've been to in Vegas have had exceptional quality food at various prices. In my humble opinion, the best value in terms of bang for your buck and food quality is the brunch buffet at the Paris. However, considering I'd taken my mother there before, for this particular trip we went to the iconic buffet at Caesars Palace. While it was by no means cheap, it had a litany of healthy options, so I could load up on carbs and protein, and she could indulge in a plethora of tasty eats. I remember the day of this race incredibly well, because this was to date the only race day where I physically did not know what to do with myself in the hours leading up to the race. Typically, my race morning is spent waking up a couple hours before I need to line up at the start line, having my pre-race meal, sipping coffee, scrolling various articles, and pretty much just taking advantage of the quiet time to clear my head. For this race, I had what amounted to a full day afforded to me, and I didn't know how to spend it. 
When in Vegas, I love walking or running the new strip. There's traffic at all hours of the day, so unless you're traversing the iconic boulevard early in the morning, it tends to be faster to just walk everywhere. That being said, when you're planning to run a solid 26.2 and your ankle is not in the best shape it's ever been, you really don't want to do too much walking. The day of the race was spent dining at the buffet and then pretty much just milling around the hotel room because I'll admit, I had not been this nervous for a race since the morning of my first marathon. By this point, I had race experience under my belt. I completed a full marathon, a 10k and a half, so I knew I could get the job done. However, it's never a good idea to physically push yourself to continue when you're injured or otherwise not feeling at the top of your game. And I can confidently say looking back on this race, my ankle needed some time off to rest and recover. Well, I was confident in my ability to finish the race. Considering I spent the majority of the weekend walking around Vegas with an ankle brace, I was apprehensive to say the least. This is why I believe it's of the utmost importance to chronicle each race you tackle. There's no better learning experience than reflecting upon how you felt in the days and weeks leading up to a race, as well as lining up at the start line. The entire marathon or race training cycle, including the race, is where you truly learn what works and what doesn't for you as a runner. After spending the entire day lounging around, it was time to line up at the starting line. And fortunately, Las Vegas at night is neither dry nor incredibly hot, so the weather for this run was quite comfortable. I was also staying just off the strip, but within walking distance to the monorail, so I remember putting in my headphones, strapping on my ankle brace, rolling out, and then beginning the short walk to the monorail. This was the final race where I ran with a set of Bluetooth headphones and I actually ended up taking them off about 20 minutes into the race and storing them in my newly acquired running belt pouch as I wanted to soak up the atmosphere of Sin City at night and I felt as if the headphones detracted from that goal. I also absolutely recommend all of my clients and friends who are new runners to complete their first race without headphones so you can focus on the environment, listen to all the cheering from spectators, converse with your fellow runners, and so you can hear any on-course entertainment off in the distance, which can serve as a fantastic motivational tool. I remember running the first few minutes and feeling very uneasy. At the time, I didn't own a running or smartwatch, so I typically run with RunKeeper and have audio notifications provide the total distance, time, and average pace every half mile or so to verify I was on track to finish under my target time. However, for this race, since my ankle wasn't feeling that great and I was more or less comfortable with running a consistent 12-minute mile, I opted to run without a time tracker of any sort. I was worried the fact my ankle was bothering me, but not enough to prohibit me from completing my run, just to be clear, would cause me to get in my own head if I knew I was coming in significantly under my target time. This is part of the reason why I emphasize the marathon mindset so much. You've got to know what works for you when it comes to being in the strongest possible frame of mind come race day. We've devoted an entire episode to covering the marathon mentality because I vehemently believe it's of the utmost importance. While the physical requirements for running a marathon cannot be trivialized, seriously, don't make the same mistake I did and sign up for a full 26.2 with practically no time to train, the mental toll such an arduous distance takes is something that's easy to overlook. I certainly don't want to rehash the duration of a marathon mindset episode here, but a marathon is more than likely going to take a new runner anywhere between four to seven hours to complete, and it's hard to be mentally dialed in to something for that long. However, if you lose focus when you're running, especially if it's at night, regardless of how well lit and flat the path is, you're liable to have something go wrong. 
As such, over the course of your marathon or race training cycle, find out what works best for your mind state, right? Your mental mind. I knew there was a possibility I'd get into my own head during this race because that's my personality and I'd done it sporadically over the course of preparing for my previous two races, so I wanted to eliminate that opportunity. You learn so much throughout the course of training and on race day about yourself, specifically your mental and physical strengths and weaknesses. Use that knowledge to be as prepared as possible. Apologies for the slight detour, but wrestling with these feelings or insecurities are something every runner goes through, and I think serve as the most useful learning experiences one can share. Like we were saying, I kicked off the race and was running slow, steady, and I felt pretty dang good. I typically like to have water or water and carbs every 15 minutes, and I was sticking to my game plan pretty steadily. That being said, about five miles in, the combination of running with an ankle brace and the fact my ankle was actually bugging me began to become an ever-increasing burden. The ankle brace was a bit of a double-edged sword throughout the duration of this run, which to me illustrates I probably shouldn't have run this race given my ankle wasn't in the best shape ever. While the brace was keeping my ankle straight and minimizing pain or discomfort as intended, the constant rubbing of the brace against my shoe was causing my ankle to get hot, irritated, and overall just crazy uncomfortable. I briefly considered stopping for a few minutes to remove the brace, but I did not want to risk running without it because I could feel my ankle getting progressively worse. Needless to say, this was one of the most uncomfortable races I've ever ran. Despite being on a relatively flat course, running alongside people in creative costumes, having spectators along the strip, and being in one of the most iconic cities in the world, I was so focused on my ankle, I didn't really get to enjoy the course. But believe it or not, that was not the worst part of the race. This was my first run rock and roll race, but I've run a couple since then. So let me provide a little background on how these races are set up. And since Run Disney is probably the second most recognizable race organizer, I'll juxtapose the two for reference. For races where Run Disney has both a half and full marathon, which is only in January at the annual Walt Disney World Marathon, as the only other races offered are half marathons, the races take place on two separate days. The half marathon is on Saturday and the full marathon is on Sunday to allow challenge participants to run in both. Considering Run Disney is at the Walt Disney World Resort and they've the blessing of space, it's not much of an issue. Challenge participants for Run Rock and Roll races have the option to complete a shorter race on Saturday, typically a 5 or 10k, and the half and full marathons run simultaneously on Sunday. Both half and full marathon participants run the first 10 miles or so together, so you'll see both types of bibs as they're typically different colors, and then the race course splits off, just to provide a little bit of context on how these races are oriented. Not knowing exactly where the race course split, I endeavored to stick with a mass of around 15 of my fellow full marathoners to ensure I wouldn't miss it. However, there were no signs or anything denoting the course split and I ended up completing a half marathon despite signing up for, training, and planning to run a full 26.2 miles. I know what you're thinking. True Bros was in lots of pain and focusing on his ankle so he just didn't look up. That's a fair thought, but absolutely wrong. I ended up getting back on the strip with the same group of marathoners and a few half marathoners thrown in for good measure. Needless to say, I was pretty dang livid when I crossed the finish line, and the large, disconnected group I crossed the finish line with was as well, and immediately made a beeline for race organizers after the fact and let them have an earful. 
due to the whole fiasco of the course not having proper signage. I remember crossing the finish line and feeling pretty dang pissed off. Not only did I not get my money's worth, but I hadn't completed the distance I trained for. I picked up my full marathoner jacket that came with signing up for the race. But due to the bad taste the race left in my mouth and the fact that I'm really not a big fan of windbreakers, I seldom wear it. I recall being super livid, meeting my mother and changing in a bathroom stall in the Bellagio so we could go grab my post-race meal in a huff, as if one can take off compression socks and change from being super sweaty in a huff. We walked down from the Bellagio to the Cosmopolitan and went to the pizza parlor down an unmarked hallway, which I try to visit every time I'm in Las Vegas because I think that place is the absolute best pizza. It wasn't the best experience to complete a goal that wasn't the one I was shooting for. And I've always looked back on this race with relative disdain until recently. I've never been one of those people who says things like, everything happens for a reason. But the more I've reflected upon this race as time has passed and in preparation for this episode, I think the 2016 Rock and Roll Las Vegas Half Marathon was a pivotal race for me for a litany of reasons. As we discussed earlier, I signed up for this November race after the Dumbo Double Dare, and I did so as I was training for the Dopey Challenge the following January, right? That's my main focus. That's the end goal. And given the fact that my main goal was to complete four races in four days a couple months later, this race served its purpose. Additionally, the more I think back about how I physically felt during the weeks leading up to this race and when I was on the course, my ankle was not in good shape. I was in a lot of pain and I was really hurting. Truth be told, I probably should have just taken a couple weeks off with copious amounts of ice and rest and I would have been right as rain as I did that after completing this half marathon. Had I gone and completed the full 26.2 miles as I'd intended, there's a big possibility I may have injured myself or something could have happened which would have meant I needed more time off than the two weeks I took after this race. While my original goal was taken from me due to poor signage, in hindsight, this was a goal I probably should not have been striving for. Additionally, I absolutely believe the organizational oversight of this particular race to be a fluke. I thought so at the time and was proven correct by subsequent experience with run rock and roll races. I ran the final Dallas half marathon in 2018 and it was picture perfect. I completed the 2019 New Orleans Half Marathon, which runs simultaneously with a full marathon, and the course split was staffed by a number of run, rock, and roll people with blaring music with clear signage who pointed every upcoming runner in the proper direction. As a result, while I'm quite salty about the singular race experience, I'll readily admit I believe it was nothing more than an aberration. That being said, right, it's not all lollipops and candy canes. This is an aberration that left a taste in my mouth I've never been quite able to get out. In the years since this race, I've come to terms with the fact I completed a half marathon instead of a full and it was most likely best for my physical well-being at the time. I also got to take a pretty unique trip with my mother, which was tons of fun, and I earned a windbreaker that's pretty stylish and my wife is a big fan of, right? She really likes windbreakers. However, I had a goal. And while I'm cognizant, what transpired was out of my control and overall was probably for the best, I did not reach my original goal. I realize this is a bit of a personality quirk, but it's a feeling I can't shake and really I don't think I should. I had a goal and I didn't reach it. And the fact is, this still bothers me, not severely, but it does marginally. And it's one of the drawbacks of my particular personality. I mentioned this a bunch of times on previous episodes and today, but you learn the most about yourself over the course of a marathon training cycle, and I'm the kind of person who sees things through to the end no matter what. 
Some could say this is driven. Some could say it's obsessive. The only thing I know is if I don't reach a goal, it sticks with me. This doesn't prevent me from moving on. But the fact I know I didn't reach my goal is something I don't like. In my eyes, failure, which I'm defining simply as not reaching an intended goal, is just as important to our development, not just as healthy and fit individuals, but overall human beings, as success. Had I not finished this race due to injury, which in all likelihood may have happened if I'd run any more than the 13.1 miles I did, I'd be in the same boat, but I wouldn't have a stylish medal on my wall. The reason I bring this up is because even though as a new runner, you're dedicating time and effort to achieve your goal of finishing your first race in the upright position, there's a chance you may not. There may be a freak storm or an injury or something may happen that causes you to not reach the finish line. And if that happens, it's absolutely okay. Just because you didn't reach your goal, does that mean the physical changes you've undergone, right? The increase in cardiovascular and muscular strength, the mental toughness it's taken for you to complete high mileage training runs, learning how to listen to your body and adapt your lifestyle to better yourself. Does that mean it was all for nothing? Even if you don't cross a finish line of your first race for whatever reason, you're still on the road to Gainesville. And I'm here to tell you, this road is a never-ending journey. We can always be better than we were yesterday. You may not cross the finish line of your first race, but you will of your second or your third, and then you've completed your first race in the upright position. That desire to bounce back, that toughness, that grit, whether it's maniacal like I think mine is, or you're more well-adjusted and can do so without being hyper-aggressive in your own head, is something I've learned on the marathon course. And it's a feeling I think every human being should experience. It's one I try to instill in every client I work with. It's why come this November, the wife and I will be heading back to fabulous Las Vegas to run a full marathon on the iconic strip. Because when I set a goal, I reach it even if it takes three years to come back around. You can finish your first race if you're willing to put in the work. And even if for some crazy reason you don't think you're built for running or you have some type of setback, it doesn't matter. Just bounce back when you can. Adjust when necessary. Keep your head down and get to work and I guarantee you'll surprise yourself. I appreciate you spending some time with me today and I hope you're seeing what I see, that truly anyone can run. We drop a new episode of the Anyone Can Run podcast every Monday in case you're in need of that Monday motivation. And yours truly drops a new video on YouTube and accompanying post over at TrueBros.com every workout Wednesday. Where we're covering food, travel, gaming, tech, and all types of wild stuff in between. If you've ever got questions or ideas for a topic you'd like covered in a future episode, feel free to hit me up on Instagram or Twitter at AnyoneCanRunPod. We also currently open the Twitch gym, located at twitch.tv slash truebroslive, weekdays from 12 to 6 central time. So be sure to follow and turn on notifications if you ever want to talk running or anything else with me in real time, or show a little support for the gains of Twitch. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Anyone Can Run podcast, and if you did, you can rate, review, like, share, and subscribe. If you didn't enjoy it well, you get what you pay for. And regardless, I look forward to seeing you on the road to Gainesville.